Father, that is our heart's cry. Oh, how great are you, Lord. Only you. You are truly the victor over everything that we need in our lives. Without you, we can do nothing, but with you, all things are possible. And so we're asking, Lord, that through your spirit, through your grace, that you would meet with us and minister to us. You would draw our hearts to an understanding of, Jesus, just how faithful you have been, and with that, how faithful you will be. And so, simply, Lord, draw us to you. Knit our hearts to you. Father, just by your grace, by your grace, lead us into these paths that are victorious, the victory that we find in you, the victory that we find as we walk according to your word and the leading of your spirit. And so, Father, we do not have to be beaten up. We do not have to be afraid. We can be more than conquerors as your word proclaims. So teach us what it is to battle. Teach us what it is to believe by faith of the victory that you've given to us. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. Okay, saints, if you would, please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a passage that in some senses has been honestly relegated to the children's ministry. And it's one that has been given over to their teaching, given over to them that they could have an understanding of the faith and how to defeat giants. But understand that this was not just written for children. This is in the Word. And I think it's important for us to grasp fully what it is that God wants us to understand through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now keep in mind, you guys know there's 58 verses in this chapter. And so normally I would try to give you some context of what's going on prior to it. But I don't want to read through the 58 verses and then jump into the the message. But you guys are familiar with a lot of what is happening in this passage. You guys know of the event. There may be minor details that you're not familiar with that we'll look at and kind of develop here this evening. But I want you to grasp something right off the bat. And then I'm going to have you grasp it one more time as we conclude, hopefully if we have that time. You guys should be familiar with a passage found in the book of Hebrews. And within the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think it's interesting that within this passage of, of Hebrews, that what we understand is that there is this great crowd of witnesses to a battle that's about to go on. And, of course, we see that there is a great crowd of witnesses. What, you got the Philistines on one side, you got the Israelites on another. There is a great crowd of witnesses. But amazingly, what Hebrews wants to teach us is that within this great crowd of witnesses that we need to lay aside those things which ensnare us. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, we understand that Saul wants to give David his armor. It's tried, it's true, this is how we do it. And what David has to do is he has to set it aside. It's too cumbersome. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know how to use it. I'm not, I'm not familiar with this. I have to lay aside the weight that encumbers me because there is something that I need to do. Let's take on a giant. And so I, I love the fact that he has to lay aside 
those kind of things. He lays aside the armor. But that's not all. So you have to understand that within this passage, the, the children's ministry shares that it's a, it's a single battle. It's David and Goliath. But understand that within this chapter, David literally fights four battles. And you say, four battles? Yes, four battles. The first battle he has to fight as we go into this is when he's there and his older brother Eliab begins to just, in verse 28, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab anger was aroused against him. He said, why have you come down here with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you've come down to see the battle. It's amazing the opposition, the slander that he gets from Eliab. And he has to lay that aside. Do you understand? He has to lay aside because that weight could just simply through that slander, that ridicule that comes from his brother, that could weigh him down. And he has to lay that aside too. And not only does he have to battle his brother, but then he has to battle his king. Yes, he has to battle the king because in verse 33, Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You're a youth and he a man of war from his youth. He's been fighting longer than you've been breathing. What makes you think you can take him on? And so we see here this discouragement that's doubt. And what does David have to do? He has to lay aside that as well. Because that discouragement, that doubt, first from his family, second from his king. And his king comes and says, you're just not able to do this. Just, just what, what are you thinking? And then the third battle that he has to fight is this, that when the king gives him the armor, in a sense, he's calling David, compromise what God has called you to do and let me help you out by what I think you should do. Here is the way that we fight in the flesh. And God all along is saying, listen, this is a spiritual battle. You're going to fight it in the flesh, but you're going to win it. But you don't fight it in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. And so we realize this is, is that third battle that he has to fight because the king wants him to compromise. You need to do it this way. You need to do it this way. And you can't do it new. Why would you do it new when we have it tried and true? Take my armor. It's the best armor in all of the land. You take it. You use it. They say, I can't. Uh, this is untested to me. I don't know how. And that's the third battle. And then, of course, the fourth battle, probably the easiest, he just takes on a giant takes on Goliath. And we're going to see how within the odds, how that actually plays into David's favor. Because keep in mind that this is a team sport is what we're going to find. Because Goliath doesn't come down by himself. Goliath has an armor bearer. And with that armor bearer, then he says, oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to call on my gods. So you got Goliath, you got his armor bearer, you got gods. And David says, okay, then I'll do the same thing. <laughs> I'll call on my God. So you got, you got three against two in a sense. But I think David knew a truth. Goliath's God was nothing. So basically it's what? Two against two. Goliath, an armor bearer against God and David. And <laughs> David knew this. I don't even have to be here. 
I'm going to be here. I'm going to watch God do amazing things. I'm going to watch God deliver the whole nation of Israel. But you have to understand, I think it's so important that what we see and what the author of Hebrews tries to teach us is we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. Lay aside everything that hinders us from moving forward. That's the ridicule. That's the opposition. That's the doubt. That's compromise. And you go into the battle and don't be afraid of the battle. And then I love it because the author of Hebrews puts this in there. He says, look into the Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He began my faith and he's going to complete my faith. Now notice what David does. When, when, when Saul says, you're not able to go against this giant, I love what David does because David said, listen to verse 34, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took out a lamb out of flock, I went after it. I struck it. I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. But note this, God began that work in David. Because in verse 37, moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Do you understand? He said, I was out there, but it wasn't me. The battle was always the Lord's. And I think it's so important to recognize that what the author of Hebrews calls Jesus, he's the author, he's the beginner of my faith, and he's the finisher of my faith. There are some battles there, dear saint, that you are just beginning. You're learning how to fight. And, and God is the author of that battle. He's beginning to teach you how to fight. Now, you may be a Christian for a long time, but, but this battle may be new to you. And understand that in that, he is going to begin to guide you, begin to lead you into the way that you need to walk through this battle. He's the author. But then what? Then he's going to keep growing you and maturing you. And then he's going to be the finisher of your faith. This is where Hebrews begin to just so beautifully puts it out. And then we see here, for the joy that was set before him. Oh, for God's pleasure, Jesus went and he did the battle for all of his children, for all of mankind. And this is so incredible that as David goes forth into this battle, he's not battling just for him. He's battling what? He's battling first for the glory of God, and then for what? For the glory of Israel. And so this is what we're going to be looking at here this evening. And so I wanted to kind of give you that synopsis there in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now let's jump into our text. It begins this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to do battle, and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and and Azekah in Ephes, Damon. And so we see the location of this. This is kind of southwest of Jerusalem. It's kind of just westish of Bethlehem. And so we see that here, this is where they're camped. Now, amazingly, that within this area, there's a kind of a river that sort of flows. It's, it's a creek. It's usually dried up. It was when I went there. And within this, this creek bed, the creek bed runs from northwest to southeast, but it, it's, it's more tipped to the side. And so we see that what's going to happen is the Philistines will be 
kind of controlling the, the western side, and they'll be on that, that southwestern part of a hill. And then the Israelis are controlling the more the eastern side, and they'll be on the northeastern side of another hill. So you've got a hill on the southwest, a hill on the northeast, and then you have this little valley, this little river creek that runs between those two hills. And so we see that there you have two armies, one on one side towards the south and to the west, one on the other side to the north and to the east. Verse 2 declares this, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. So here they are in this valley, and it just sort of declares where it is, so you kind of can find it on a map. And so the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, they call them mountains, but we know there are mountains and there are hills. But if you've ever been to certain snow mountains here in Wisconsin, they call it, this is the snow mountain, and it's nothing more than a hill. And that's kind of what's there. So you have a larger hill, but they, they call it a mountain on one side, a high area on one side, a high area on the other side, and then there's this low area that's in between them. A champion, verse 4, went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, a cubit, as you guys understand, is the length of basically from a man's elbow to the man's tip of his middle finger. On the average man, that's about 18 inches. And that's considered here that that's what the, this, this is. And so his, that's a cubit. It's just simply that 18 inches. And then a span, which is the, the, the length of where if your fingers are spread out. So on the average, the, they say that Goliath is somewhere between Oh, on the average man's measurement, somewhere between 9'2", 9'6", 9'9". So he's, 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 he's taller than the average Israelite by a bit. And as we recognize, it talks about his stature. Not only was he a tall man, but we also understand that he was a strong and big man because he had the bronze helmet, verse 5, on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and the iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a, arm, and a shield bearer went before him. So the average weight of Goliath's armor was somewhere between 120 to 200 pounds. He fights with 120 to 200 pounds on him. The spearhead alone is 20 pounds. You understand he's not just tall, but he's huge and he's strong. This is the guy, this is the warrior, this is the champion of the Philistines. So not only are you going against Goliath, but he also has this shield bearer who goes before him. In other words, someone to watch over him, someone to help him with his, you know, his shield, his javelin, his, you know, his spear, his 
sword, whatever he would need, you have this assistance, this guy assist Goliath. And so in verse 8, he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine in you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And then verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I want to bring you back to a little bit here so that you can understand a little bit more fuller of what this picture is. And so eventually what we're going to find out is this, is that this Philistine is going to be coming. And according to verse 16, the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, both morning and evening. He does this for 40 days. Now, this is the amazing thing about what he does. And while you need to read through the entire passage clearly and distinctly so you understand what's going on. He does this for 40 days. Now, beginning in verse 8, what we see is this. He stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel. Why have you come out and line up for battle? So eventually, where you have the Philistines on one side, you have Goliath standing with the armies, and he's the one who's the focal point. So you have this whole army of the Philistines, and he's the focal point, and he's, he's yelling, saying, come, fight me, fight me. Well, day one, nobody comes up, both morning and evening. Day two, nobody comes up. Nobody comes down. And what Goliath begins to do is this. He becomes emboldened. Now, I want you to jump to verse 23 for just a second so you can understand what is transpiring within these 40 days. Verse 23 declares this, Then as he talked with them, this is Goliath talking to here, the armies of Israel, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath. Oh, as David was talking to the army, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. And notice what it says, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard him. This term that he uses in verse 23, Goliath coming up from the armies, the term literally means he's ascending up. What does that tell us? That tells us that within these 40 days, Goliath took a step away from the army towards the army of Israel. He takes a step, says, here I am. He steps up. And they still don't come up. And then he takes two steps. Then he takes three steps. Then he takes five steps. Then he, he's, he's halfway down the hill. And then he actually comes to the riverbed. And he's halfway between them. And then he starts ascending up the other hill. This is absolutely incredible that you have one man who day after day after day begins to insult and demoralize an entire army because he says this, I just want one guy, just one guy. If you send one guy, if he beats me, 
fine, we'll be your servants. But if I beat him, then you'll be our servants. And absolutely incredible that as he does this day after day after day, he becomes emboldened. He moves closer and closer and closer to the army of Israel. And what's amazing is 40 days have passed. Now, 40 days, you guys know as well as I, it's the number of testing. It's the number sometimes of judgment. When the children of Israel were there in the wilderness, how long did they wander? 40 years. It was a test. It was a judgment. When Jesus was there, 40 days in the wilderness, neither eating nor drinking, it was a test. And he proved the test that he was up to the metal. And so I want you to understand that it's 40 days and the entire army of Israel is being tested. Saul is being tested. But you have to understand that at this point, there's a problem. And let me share with you what what that problem is. Remember back in chapter 16, I only want to read two verses to you. I want to read verse 13 and 14 to you, but I want you to grasp what's happening. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord that troubled him. Do you understand? Saul has no connection to God. There's no confidence that God is here. So Saul, who's head and shoulders above everyone else there of Israel, he, along with the entire army, verse 11 said, Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, and they were dismayed. Now here's the kicker in verse 24. As Goliath is moving forward, they're stepping backwards. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. All that the, hear Goliath. Can you imagine that he's up there and he goes, boo, and they all step back. They all like, I don't want anything to do with this guy. One man, just one man. And he's not a man of God. He's a carnal man. And he's a man who's defiling the armies of the living God. And through that, he's defiling and seeking to blaspheme God himself. And so I want you to see what's happening through this event as we look at this. Here, Goliath, big guy, yes. And so as he comes, he makes that declaration and he just simply says, okay, come fight with me, come fight with me. And initially he was there with the army, but through the 40 days he's moving closer and closer. He's actually gone down into the valley and now ascending up the hill. And as he ascends up the hill, Israel's backing up. This does not look good for the bravery of Israel. Now, here's what begins to happen. After verse 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were greatly dismayed. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David, verse 12, was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. We've looked at that. And who had eight sons? We've looked at that. David is the youngest. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. So David was a son of his old age. 
And as he's there, he's simply ministering. The youngest of eight, he just simply is the one who is the catch-all. They need someone to watch the sheep. David, you're the guy. And David was so insignificant in the family that even when he told, when Samuel told Jesse, get your kids, he just let David out with the sheep. He goes, no, no, there's got to be another one. Where is he? Oh, that's David. He's the little guy. He's out. We're not doing anything until he gets here. But we understand that David, the son of Jesse, is the youngest. And in verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. So you've got the three oldest boys. They are there with Saul. And I want you to understand what the, the mindset of the three oldest brothers of David are. Look at verse 11 again. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 24, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. This is everyone. Notice verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words. And they didn't say all Israel except David's oldest brothers. They were along with everyone else worried about what was going to be going on. And so, verse 14, David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now keep in mind that what had happened back in the end of chapter 16, remember when that spirit came upon Saul and he was distressed. Well, what had happened was this. Now the men got together, verse 15, Saul's servant of chapter 16 said, hey, this is a distressing spirit from God. It's troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you seek out a man who's a skillful player of the harp. And it shall be that he will play it when his hand and when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you'll be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well. Bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said in verse 18 of chapter 16, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful playing in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person. The Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. So David came to Saul, verse 21 of chapter 16, stood before him, and he loved him greatly. So this is what was happening there in chapter 16, and now we understand that David in, in our chapter 17, verse 14, was the youngest, and, and, and so the three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. When Saul was distressed, David would go. When Saul had other things, David would go back. And when he went back, he simply ministered to his sheep, to his father's sheep. And so he went back to Bethlehem. But any time that Saul needed him, he would come and he would play. Well, verse 16 said, The Philistines drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. So we understand that this Philistine Goliath comes every morning, every evening, as they kind of stand out in battle array, one army on one side, one army on the other side. And then rather than the armies coming together, Goliath does this taunt. 
He says, not the armies. We're not going to do the armies. So that tells you something about the Philistine army. The Philistine army wasn't really bold against going against the Israeli army, but what it was is just one enemy, one enemy, one insignificant enemy. Isn't that amazing that really, honestly, truly, the church has one insignificant enemy? And we're going to look at him one day and said, is this, is this the one that troubled? Is this the one that caused fear? Satan, who wanted to exalt himself, God humbles him. And one day we're going to look upon him and say, is this the one? Was he the one? And it's absolutely amazing that here, one insignificant enemy that just, he's a roaring lion. He's not a biting lion. He's a roaring lion. And guess what? We're all terrified. We're running. But greater is he who is in us. And we have overcome him. Yes, he is the accuser of the brother. We have overcome him by the power of the blood and of the testimony. Our testimony and then what Christ has done in shedding his blood, we have victory. And so we begin to see here that, that they were all dismayed. And this Philistine, verse 16, Goliath draws near, presented himself 40 days, both morning and evening. And Jesse now just so happens, now what a coincidence this is. On the 40th day, Jesse determines, you know what, I don't know what's going on, but it seems like a good day to bring your brothers some food. And so in verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephod of dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. So Jesse has this crazy idea. David, go see how your brothers are doing. He has no idea that it's the 40th day of this test. He has no idea that his, that his sons are dismayed and greatly afraid. He has no idea of what's going on. It just seems like a good idea for David to go and bring some provisions to his brothers. And so absolutely amazing, we see here, verse 19, now Saul and all the men of the Israel were there in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now, I don't know what kind of fighting they're doing. They may be kind of yelling across each other, army to army, until Goliath comes up and they're like, oh, no, we're not doing this one-on-one -on -one thing. We may try to do the army thing, but not the one-on-one. -on -one. And so we think that if we have more power behind us, if we have a greater ability behind us, we can do an entire army, but not a one-on-one. -on -one. I can't do this alone. Do you understand, Christian, you are never alone? He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. And it's so amazing that God says, I fight for you, and I'm here. Well, at this point, we see here that they declared they were fighting. Now, what kind of fighting? I don't think they were actually doing any sword fighting or weapon fighting, but they were at a battle. So they'll call it fighting. So verse 20, David rose early in the morning, left his sheep with the keeper. I love that. He doesn't leave his sheep alone. He has a heart for these little sheep. And he says, okay, now you guys, I'm going to get someone else to take care of you. And he took the things and he went as Jesse commanded him. 
This is amazing. Do you understand that David is the king, the anointed king of Israel? Amazing. He's anointed king, and what is he doing? He's watching sheep. And then what does he do as a king? Oh, I'm bringing the brother some, some, some food. And the commander, I'm helping him out too. But absolutely amazing is he rises early in the morning. He does as Jesse commanded him. He's the king, and he still does exactly what his dad says. And he doesn't err from it. He just does what his dad said. And so I love verse 20. David went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the camp, verse 20, at the end. And the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. So they were, again, yelling at each other on one hill. The other guys yelling at each other in the other hill until what? Until Goliath comes. And then all the yelling stops. What we see is this, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. So he goes to the supply guy and says, hey, hold on to this for just a second. I'm going to go check out my brothers. And so as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, verse 23, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same word. So David heard them. So now we see that Goliath is, is now ascending up the hill. He's saying those same words, choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. Let him fight with me if he's able let him try to kill me if he's able. If he defeats me, we'll be your servants. If I defeat him, you guys will be our servants. David heard the words. And all the men of Israel, verse 24, when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid, so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Do you understand? This man who's rising up, who's coming up to us, Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. He will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people, verse 27, answered him in this manner saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Absolutely amazing that the man who kills Goliath the king has set three rewards for the man. The first is where it says here in the middle of verse 25, it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. I'll give you money. I'll pay you. You go ahead. Now understand that Saul was the one who was head and shoulders above everybody else. But what? He didn't have the Lord. David, it doesn't say he was small and ruddy, but guess what? He has the Lord. And here the king says, I'll pay you. And nobody went up. So he adds to it. He says, not only will I enrich you with great riches, I will give you my daughter. You'll get a princess. You can marry a princess if you take this guy on. And then he says, and I'll also exempt your father's house from taxes. You guys will have a tax break. And so how incredible is that to be tax exempt from the government? And so we see here that all these things are promised to the man who 
comes and takes on Goliath. And they say, this is what the king's going to do. So David there in verse 26 spoke to the man. As he speaks to the men who stood there, he says, really, what's going to be done? Is this really going to be done? Is it really going to happen? As we see these things are going to happen, he says, amazingly, and I want you to note this, because here the, the men of Israel are only looking at the physical. Because take a look at verse 25 at the very beginning. He says, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. They only see the physical. But what David does is this. He looks at the spiritual in verse 26. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you understand? David sees it as spiritual. All the men see is the physical. David comes with an aspect to say, oh, no, no, no. You guys are missing a big picture here. You're looking at this earthly plane. You need to be looking at a bigger picture. You need to be looking at God. You need to be looking at his glory. And amazingly, God, through the nation of Israel, allows them to see a man, a great man, an amazing man, a powerful man, and what David sees is this. He sees a defiler of God. He sees uh, an uncircumcised Philistine. He sees someone who is not holy. He sees someone who's not sanctified. He sees debauchery. And yet all the people see what? They still see in the physical plane. David is looking beyond that. And so when, when David comes in verse 27... And, and when they said, they said what, what's going to be said? And then verse 27, the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. All these people around David, around his brothers are saying, yeah, you do this. There's going to be an amazing victory. And so David now begins to look and he lessens the battle. He lessens it. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's this man? basically, who needs to take away the reproach of Israel. He says, just this uncircumcised Philistine, he's, he's defiling the armies of the living God. Now, it's interesting that Eliab gets offended. Now, there are some scholars who actually believe that if Eliab gets offended because he's actually kind of feeling like David is goading him into going into battle. Because David said, who is this guy? Who is this in a battle? Just, just go. Who is this guy? And, and Eliab is like, don't push me into this. And so he actually senses that through David's speech of saying, this isn't a battle. This isn't a fight. <coughs> You're not going to lose. It's just an uncircumcised Philistine. Eliab now feels that pressure. Like, is David saying that I can go take this guy on? And so rather than him admitting the fear in his own life, his own heart, he then transfers his weakness onto David. And look at what he does in verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. For he said, why have you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Wow, now we know why Samuel 
when he said, oh, it's got to be Eliab. And God said, oh, no, you, you don't understand what his heart is. Do you understand that with this man, anyone who he sees lesser than himself, he's just going to ridicule and berate, and he's going to slander them. This is not the heart of someone I want to lead. I want the heart of someone who, when they see someone lesser than them, does what? Seeks to elevate them and minister to them. And he doesn't see himself as greater than others. He sees himself as a servant. Well, absolutely amazing. And I want you to understand that this is the first of David's battle. But note this. If you're a note taker, grab a hold of this because the first battle is what? The biggest battle in the first battle is from home. You're going out to to, to fight the battles for the Lord. And guess where the first battle comes? The first battle comes at home. Eliab is his brother. And absolutely amazing how sometimes these the, 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 the family members are the biggest detractors. Do you remember, if you're familiar with that passage in Numbers chapter 12, when, when, when all of a sudden Moses is doing what he's doing, but Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses in Numbers 12. As they speak against him because of the Ethiopian woman that he married, they say this, and this is Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. They said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all who, the men who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. It's kind of like dad, isn't it? Kids, get in here. And so all of a sudden, here's Aaron and Miriam saying, why is Moses thinking he can do this? And who's Moses? Hasn't God spoke through us too? Well, verse 5, the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And they they both went forward. He says, hear now my words. So in Numbers 12, verse 6, he says, If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Yeah, he may be your brother, but he's my servant. And so the anger of the Lord was aroused against him. He departed. Of course, we know that when he was departed, that Miriam became leprous. It's one of those things that that is how the family is. Sometimes the greatest battle is there at home. You guys remember that passage in in John chapter 7? Remember where where Jesus was going to be going back to Jerusalem. and, And what it was is he didn't want to walk in Judea openly because the Jews sought to kill him. But in verse 2 of John chapter 7, it says, Now the feast of the tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then it says this in verse 5, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Do you understand? Warfare's at home. The first opposition, the first battle is usually at home. Sometimes God calls you to do something and then you've got you to like, okay, what am I going to do? My, 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 my spouse is saying no. My kids are saying no. And, and there is time to what? Go before. Seek the Lord. Get in prayer. Look to those things. But when God calls you to do something, guess what? You've got to do it. 
But a lot of times opposition is going to come and the first battle amazingly is here at home. It's there with his oldest brother. Well, I love David's response because what he does is this. He just lays it aside. He lays it aside. Just like there in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he lays it aside and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? He looks at his brother and he says, well, you, well, you were yelling at me. He said, what? he said, is there not something to be done here? The Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine is defiling the armies of the living God. Isn't there a cause? And then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Absolutely amazing. He said, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a battle? Shouldn't there be something that we do? Now, verse 31, when the words of David, which David spoke, were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. So David was saying, isn't there a cause? What, what are you doing here? This guy is defiling. He's, he's berating you. He's uncircumcised. He's a Gentile. He's nothing in the eyes of God. Why are you afraid of him? And so eventually those words get to Saul, and Saul sends for David. And when he gets to David, verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight against this Philistine. <laughs> Amazing. David said, what, what you worried about there, king? The king like, someone, someone actually is wanting to fight? Someone actually think there's a cause? And so he says, bring that person in. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think he was expecting David. <laughs> I thought he's just okay, give me a big guy, you know, our biggest guy against their biggest guy. He may not be as big, but never know. Maybe he's a scrapper, you know, maybe he's a fighter. You can have guys that are, you know, towering over Mike Tyson, and he didn't care. He's like, man, I'm, I'm just a little man with a high voice, but watch me just beat him up. That's what he would do, and he would. But you take a look at this, and I find so amazing that when David comes and, and Saul said to David, well, first he says, let no man's heart fail. This little ruddy kid comes up. Now, now, keep in mind that he may not be little and ruddy anymore. There may have been not just weeks that have gone by since David would play for Saul, but it might have been months and even years that have gone by. David may not be anywhere between 12 and 15, but he could be somewhere between 18 under 20 because at the ages of 20, that's when the men will go to war. But he wasn't able to go to war at this point. So David could not just be this ruddy kid. He could be this, this, this you know, older teen. And what we see is this. But David said, hey, let no man's heart fail. You don't have to fear this guy. I'll take him on. <laughs> I'll take him on. Well, well, Saul, now the second battle comes and just discourages him with the lack of ages. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth and he a man of war from his youth. He says, that's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. But guess what? So amazingly that when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Don't worry about being young. Be an example. See, when, when, when God is looking for someone, he's not looking for someone old. He's not looking for someone young. He's looking for someone to be an example. He's looking for someone to what? Imitate Christ. Someone who's going to run the race. Someone who's looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher, who recognizes the power they have in Christ. And so at this point, 
absolutely amazing. Here the king says, you're not able. You're just this kid. He's been fighting longer than you've been breathing. And David, I love what he does. Know this. He lays it aside. David lays aside the second battle. First battle with his brother, the ridicule, the slander. And now he goes against this king and the king says, listen, you're not able. You're not able to go against this guy. And absolutely amazing as as David does this, he says in verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. I struck it and I killed it. And then he says this, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistines will be like one of them, seeing that he's defiled the armies of the living God. Saul comes to David and he sees the physical of Goliath. He sees the physical of David. He says, bad idea. You're not able to do this in the flesh. And David is like, I'm not doing this in the flesh because look at what he says in verse 37. Moreover, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go. Oh my goodness, this faith you have, go and the Lord be with you. David says, listen, it's a spiritual battle more than the physical. It's going to be fought in the physical plane, but it's one in the spiritual. And what David is trying to say is, listen, I've been faithful in the little things. God has taught me the use of a sling. I practice and I practice and I can use it against bears. I can use it against lions. And I wasn't afraid of the bear or the lion. Why? Because they had a lamb in its mouth. They had one that was I was in charge of protecting. And I know this. He says in verse 35, I went out and I struck it. I delivered it. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. But note this, the key is verse 37 where David said, the Lord who delivered me. Do you understand? God watched over me. I was there and I did it, but the real glory goes to God. The real battle was God's. And he recognizes with everything that went on, the Lord was the one who delivered him. So now we see this third battle. The third battle is 38, where Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And he fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. David, as Saul comes and says, listen, I have the perfect thing for you. I have something that's tried and true and tested and that's absolutely incredible. You can use my armor. You fight the way that I fight. Do it the way it's always been done. And David was like, I've never fought that way before. Isn't it amazing that so often when it comes to the, 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 the things that God calls us to do, that he may tell us to do it a little bit different. But we've always done it this way. So? If God calls you to do something different, then do it the way that God calls you. Keep the same foundation, glorify God, walk in faith, but do it the way that he calls you. And so I find it so interesting that here 
He says, I got to lay aside this weight as well, this compromise. You want me to compromise, and I can't go in the way that you want me to go. I have to go in the way that God has shown me. God has shown me how to do this. I didn't have on all this armor when I went after the lion, when I went after the bear, and I can't have it on when I go after this Philistine. And so, verse four, so at the end of verse 39, he took them off. I love David. Thanks, king, but no thanks. He takes him off. And notice what he does, verse 40. He took a staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Think about this. And I want you to understand, in verse 40, he has a staff. He has a piece of wood. Just a piece of wood. He has a staff. He has this staff. He has a piece of wood. And then he has a stone. It's amazing what God can do with a piece of wood and a stone. Our Lord would die upon a tree. He would die upon a piece of wood. He'd be buried behind a stone. And God would show his glory through that piece of wood and that stone being rolled away. And David here so beautifully says, there's going to be a victory here. I got a piece of wood. I got some stones. Now, just so you know that there's this saying, and I find it interesting that when David had these five smooth stones, they say, well, why did he have five? If he had faith, he would only had one. But there's a passage, just jot it down if you're a note taker, in 2 Samuel 21, verses 15 through 22. It actually points out that Goliath had four brothers. So just in case the brothers came, I'm, like, I'm ready for the rest of them too. But I find it interesting that he chooses five, five being the number of grace, But he takes the staff, he takes the stones, and he takes the sling. And then he drew near to the Philistine. So now we see here the fourth battle. He he laid aside his brother's ridicule. He laid aside the brother's slander. Who are you and what have you done with the few sheep? He laid aside the king's discouragement and lack of faith. He laid aside the, the, the compromise the king wanted him to do. And now comes a real battle. But those other ones were what? They were precursors. And if he didn't have victory over there, guess what? He's never going to do this. you got to have victory over those little battles. you got to be faithful in the little things. And if you're faithful in the little things, God will give you more and more things. So we see here that he drew near to the Philistine at the end of verse 40. And now in verse 41, the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. So understand what's happening here. You have the Philistine and his armor bearer. When the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So now we see here. One side, you got the Philistine, Goliath by name. You have his armor bearer, the one who holds his shield. And then you have his gods. So let me help you out with that. There's really only two. There is the Philistine. There is his armor bearer. He has no gods. They're not there. They're nothing. Do you remember where the Philistine god was? Absolutely amazing, the Philistine god just simply laid down and was broken. Think about this. This Philistine here is about to lay down and be broken. He's going to be just like his gods. 
Why? Because David is, is, is coming after it with his God. And so you have here, you have the Philistine, his armor bearer. He says he has gods. We know he doesn't have gods. But then what happens is this, verse 44, the Philistines say to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. And David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. You understand? Here's the teams. You got Goliath and his armor bearer, David and his Lord. Poor Goliath. That's all you can say. Poor Goliath. The, 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 this, this battle is not against David and Goliath. This battle is against God and Goliath. And God holds the universe in the span of his hand. But I want to share with you just one thing because I just find this amazingly because David, although he's a humble young man, that he recognizes the power of God. And you may think he's talking smack, but what happens is David is actually prophetic speaking truth. Look at verse 44 and look at verse 46 just again. The Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Now David in verse 46 says in the middle, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Goliath says, I'm going to take you on and feed your flesh to the birds. And David said, you're just going to feed one flesh? I'm going to fill the entire, the, the entire army of Philistines, the carcasses of your entire camp is going to be fed to the birds. Now that's faith. You imagine the Philistine comes up, I'm going to take you out. <laughs> David said, no, now I'm not going to take you out. I'm going to take out the whole camp. God has a work here because you come at me with a stick and, and stones and, or you come at me with a spear and a javelin. I'm coming to you in the most powerful thing that has ever been, I come to you, verse 45, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. And the Lord, keep in mind that it should be all caps in your Bible. If it's all caps in your Bible, that means it's that Y-H-V-H. It's the actual name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. And so he says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I love that. Remember back in verse 37, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. He says, now the Lord's going to deliver me from your hand. He's delivered me once. He's delivered me twice. He's delivered me all the time. He was begun a good work. And I, I followed him. I was faithful. And, and, and they're all gone. I'm still here. Guess what? You're going to be gone. I'm going to be here. And so I love the fact that he says, that all the earth at the end of verse 46, where he says, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to strike you. I'm going to take your head from you. This day, I'm going to give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And guess what? As this event is recorded in scripture, all the earth knows, all the earth knows there is a God. And I love the fact he says, listen, here David is now, and you got to understand the, 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 the gumption of this kid because he said, I'm going to simply give your flesh. And David said, and now note this, he doesn't even have a pocket knife. He has a sling, he has rocks, and he has a staff. And he says, I'm going to take your head off. <laughs> really? You're going to take my head off? Yeah, I'm going to take your head off, and I'm going to feed the carcasses of your entire camp to the birds. This is what's going to happen. And, and the reason all this is going to happen 
Because all the earth has to know that there is a God in Israel. He needs to be glorified. So what happens is this. When he makes that a statement, verse 47, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now, notice what David does. He includes the rest of the army. So anyone there who's on that hill listening now begins to say, look at this guy come and his faith that he has. But all David is saying is what? It's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. And then he makes this statement. He said, he, God, will give you into our hands. All this army that is there, that has been waiting 40 days to come and do the work of God, the testing is over, they're going to come. God is going to call them. God is going to guide them. The battle is going to be of the army, but the battle is the Lord's. So verse 48 was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. I love the fact that David goes after the Philistine. He doesn't say, come on, come on. He's like, let's go. And he he runs towards the army to meet the Philistine. He's actually running towards the Philistine army to meet Goliath. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone. So keep in mind that when all this was happening, the Goliath has now left the arising or going up to the ascent has now starting to go back. When David comes out, Goliath is now on the Philistine side of the creek and he's now closer to his army. And what does David do? He goes down to the creek goes in the middle, chooses five smooth stones, and then he starts ascending up the hill towards the Philistine army. Think of the boldness of what's happening with this man of God. So incredible. As he does so now, he makes this statement, David ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. So he, he, he's like Goliath. He just doesn't cross over and then come back to the Israel side. He begins to run up the other side of the valley, and he goes towards the army of the Philistines. Verse 49, David put his hand into the bag, took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. Ah, he's an imitator of Dagon. <laughs> He falls on his face right to the ground. Verse 50. And I love how the Spirit keeps us so humble. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there's no sword in the hand of David. So, so incredible that we see here that, that, that David just goes. God's champion defeats the enemy with a stick, a stone, and a sling. And that's it. And so because he has no sword, verse 51, David ran and stood over the Philistines, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted. They pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron, one of the major cities of the Philistines. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'arim even as far as Gath and Ekron. So they start pursuing even north of that. And so we see here, and they plundered, and the children of Israel returned, verse 53, from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. 
So everyone gets to say, wow, we get all the stuff that the Philistines had. And verse 54, David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put it with his armor in his tent. Now at this point, we see here that this may be a side note to something happens in the future. Because we know that when David does come to Jerusalem and when he takes the city of Jerusalem, which hasn't been taken yet, David is going to bring the head to Jerusalem and he's going to put the armor there and bring that to Jerusalem. So we, we see that at this point, Jerusalem isn't taken. So this is like a side note that what he's going to do with the Philistines. And so he takes the head of the Philistines, he brings it to Jerusalem, but he put the armor in his tent. So eventually that is going to happen, verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So keep in mind that we already know this as we were looking at that portion back in chapter 16, that when they were looking for a man in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 16, the servant answered, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful at playing. The Lord is with him. So at one point, he knew who David was. He knew who his father is. At this point, he's asking, whose father is he? Now, now, why is he inquiring whose son the young man is? Now, now, he's not saying who is David, but he says, whose son is this? Why? Because he has to give his father exemption from taxes in Israel. And if possible, months or years have gone by. And so although he knows David, he forgets who his dad is. You think about that. See, you know your friends. How many of your friends' fathers do you know? Like, here's an example. How many of you know the name of my dad? You don't. So, so we, we look to this and we say, well, well, at this point, whose son is he? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. And he finds out, oh, it's Jesse. He says, Jesse is the one who gets exempt from all the taxes. And, and, and I love the fact that here, David answers that I'm the son of your servant. Do you understand? He still elevates Saul. He's been anointed king. He took on this Goliath when no one else would, and he still elevates Saul. He is your servant. And I love the fact, he says, I am the son of your servant, Jesse. Is, is, is Jesse's your servant, I'm your servant. Absolutely amazing to see what, what's going on here and, and, and to find out where David is being elevated. Why? Because David has the spirit of the Lord. Saul is not. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord departed from him. It's all about a spiritual battle. So understand that when you come here and you're saying, there's a battle, there's a battle, there's a battle. Keep in mind, there's going to be more than just that battle. There were battles that took place beforehand. And you have to be faithful in those battles and grow in those battles before the next battles come. And as they do, you're going to realize, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. Why? When you realize that every single battle is the Lord's. And if there's something that tries to weigh you down, if it's ridicule or negative or slander or, or just simply someone who's discouraging you or wanting you to compromise, lay it aside. Lay it aside. If you can't move in the way that God has called you, lay it aside and then walk in the victory that you know is yours 
in Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the stick and the stone. Because of his death and his resurrection. You have power. You are more than conquerors. Sin, sin, the giant of sin that's in your life has no power over you. Why? Because of the cross, the death, and the resurrection. No giant in your life can beat you. Why? Because of the death and the resurrection. You have resurrected power. Take that truth and walk that truth and understand all these little tests that come up to it that God's going to say, now, now is the day of the battle. Now the test is over. Now I'm going to give you victory. Why? Because the battle is mine. Do you understand that if you've been struggling with sin, the battle has been the Lord's all the time. So, So why are you struggling with it? It could be. It could be that you, like David said, I haven't tested this. I haven't tested this, 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 this kind of fighting before. I haven't tested. I'm unfamiliar with it. And I think a lot of times what happens as Christians, we're unfamiliar with the spiritual weapons that we have. We haven't used them. And if you haven't used the spiritual weapons, it's untested to me. I don't know how to use it. God's going to teach you how to use these spiritual weapons. And may we grow in the understanding to realize that it's a spiritual battle. We use spiritual weapons. The battle of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. And those are the things we want to be looking to. Those are the things we want to be walking towards. Amen. Father, I thank you for this passage, how faithful you are. To recognize that, that we, we, we need to be those who truly lay aside every weight and sin because there is this great cloud of witnesses. Oh, within these witnesses, those who've gone before, they say, let that alone, let that alone. That is nothing. Let it go, let it go. They're encouraging us to just lay things aside so that we can do what? So we can, we can run this race. We can be go through this this battle and be victorious because you've taught us little things after little things and more things and more things. You're the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. And we're trusting in you. We're trusting in your work. We're trusting in the victory over that, that piece of wood and the stone. We're trusting in your death and your resurrection and the power that comes as we put our faith in you. Sin is... Sin is basically wiped out. Sin has no power. It's been rendered inactive. Katargeo, as your word declares in the Greek. So let us be those who know that the battle is yours. Let us be those who know that we already have victory. Oh, we ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.